Well, welcome back to The Bill Bennett Show. It's the podcast that takes a deeper look at the news of the day and gives you thoughtful perspective about what's happening in America, at home and abroad. Joining me today is Paul Kingor, author and professor of political science at Grove City College. We're going to talk about Supreme Court, Justice Kennedy retiring. Will Trump get a pick through with the Democrats planning to resist? And Brian Kennedy will join us as well. He's president of the American Strategy Group. I'm a fellow of the American Strategy Group here in Washington. Brian Kennedy will talk to us about China, the new and rising threat of China in so many ways. But first, I got to make a couple of notations on things that are going on. Two principally. One, uh, because of the resignation of Kennedy, people have missed the significance of the Janus decision by the Supreme Court. No longer will people be compelled to pay union dues, public uh, servants, public civil servants. To me, this means teachers' unions. Um, this can free up the teachers to do things they haven't done before. First, they won't be compelled to support the political activities of unions, which almost always go and vote to the left. Second, um, resources can now be used in other ways. Let me give you an example, just a quick example. Because of the way it works now, and people being compelled to pay these dues into an organization which then collectively bargains for them, the um, organization uh, says uh, this is our, these are our priorities, and if people disagree, it's tough. They still have to support financially. Well, one policy that the unions have put in place most in most places is last hired, first released. Uh, if you were hired uh, to be a teacher uh, last year and there need to be layoffs, then you're the first to go. Not on the merits, not on the basis of who's good, who's great, but simply on the basis of what the union says, which is uh, last hired, first fired. Uh, that's a crazy policy. I did a piece uh, uh, with Karen Nussel. Um, we both work for Conservative Leaders for Education. Claude, if you could put a link up to it. Sure. In which we talk about the possibilities for the teaching profession now that uh, the court has ruled in this, I think, landmark case, which could, in the long run, uh, have a lot to do with the future of American education. Uh, we lay it out in the piece. The second thing I want to point out is Donald Trump and immigration. We try to put it as squarely as I can. Midst the loudest howling that we have heard from the left and from the media and from the Democrats and from even some Republicans about Donald Trump's policy, the separation of children from parents, et cetera, et cetera. Most Americans believe Trump was put in a difficult spot, didn't like the separation of parents from children, children from parents, but believed it was not in the most part his fault. It was the fault of the people who crossed illegally. Just a few highlights. Uh, this is courtesy of Byron York, who did a great summary in a piece he did. It's a Harvard-Harris poll by former Clinton pollster and strategist Mark Penn, conducted June 24, 25. Do you think that people who make it across our border illegally should be allowed to stay in the country or sent home? 64% said they should be sent home. That's 83% of Republicans, 47% of Democrats, and 66% of Independents. 36% said... They should be allowed to stay. This is after all the screaming and hollering. Okay. Do you think that uh, illegal immigrant families should be separated? The vast majority of Americans in this poll, 88% opposed separating illegal immigrant families while they were in the U.S. and blamed the Trump administration for the policy. Okay. On the other hand, 55% said illegal immigrant families should be held in custody until a judge reviews their case, essentially the new Trump family detention policy. The end result, 
A substantial majority said illegal border crossers and the children they brought should be returned to their home countries. To that end, 80% favored hiring more immigration judges to process people in custody faster. The point is, Donald Trump's approval rating has gone up, but his policy on immigration, as difficult as this thing is, was supported by a majority of Americans. They did not like the separation of families, but they did not think that in the first instance the problem is caused by Donald Trump. They saw the situation and wanted Donald Trump to remedy it, and they put some blame on the president for the situation uh, as, as it occurred in that period of time. But, of course, that changed. He changed policy on that. The overall point is that his approval rating went up, and his approval rating on this issue went up. When you ask Americans if people cross into the country illegally and they put, they're put they put in a difficult position, even a heart-rending situation, separation of parents and children, who's at fault? The American people will say, in the first instance, and most of the responsibility falls on the people crossing into the country illegally. That's all I want to tell you about that. The other thing is, you'll hear this come up in a couple of discussions today. Watch what happens with this president of Mexico. He is... Uh, ultra-liberal. This could prove a real blessing to Donald Trump, but there will be fur flying and there will be sparks in the interim. The last thing I want to say to everybody is, Lincoln said it best, we shall nobly save or meanly lose this last best hope of Earth. We shall see what the future of humanity is, and it will have a lot to do with the future of the U.S. is. Godspeed, Mr. President. May you be inspired by wisdom, thoughtfulness, the example of our forebears, our forefathers, words of the Declaration of Independence, the words of Lincoln, and guide this country in the way that its founders intended. It's a tough go. There are a lot of challenges, but I don't get depressed. When I watch TV, listen to the radio, I sometimes get depressed about things that are going on about America. And then I talk to Americans. And when I talk to Americans, I always just feel much better. You're listening to The Bill Bennett Show. Bill Bennett Show. Let's jump in with Paul Kangor. Nobody knows more about Ronald Reagan than Paul Kangor does. He, it is amazing. And uh, one of the great evenings of my life was that event at Grove City where you <laughs> played those videotapes. Surprised the heck out of me. There I was with the president. I'd never seen those things before. And you knew more <laughs> about the events I was participating in than I did anyway. <laughs> uh, you are a treasure and a treasure trove of things. So, oh, well, you, no, you 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 are a treasure, and it, it was um, and it was a, a pleasure to show those. I, I, you know, when when we dug those videos out, I, I thought to myself, I bet he's never even seen these, and I bet he doesn't even know that they exist. But they, but they, you know, they filmed everything that happened at the Reagan White House, at least that they could, and and so I, that was a. Um, it was a video of you being appointed, right? Yeah, and your yeah. your family was there yeah, at the time, and yeah, yeah, that, yeah was that was really something. Very touching, and um, you know, some some small political significance, but to the family, I know we asked you for copies, and my son has put them away in a safe place, and um, means the world mm-hmm. to us. So we thank you. Uh, let's go right to the Supreme Court. People are making a ton out of this. Are they right mm-hmm. to? 
Yeah, no, absolutely right. In fact, I would say too, and we just we just posted a piece on this at our website for the Center for Vision and Values at Grove City College that um, this Independence Day, one of the things that we can mark are some big victories for religious liberty, including um, among others at the Supreme Court last week, the National Institute of Family and Life Advocates case, and that was that was the case where they struck down the 2015 California law that amazingly, Bill, forces pro-life crisis pregnancy centers to advertise abortions. It's just crazy. I mean, these are are, um, crisis pregnancy centers that were established for the very purpose of not doing abortions, providing alternatives to abortion. Many of them are religious with religious missions, conscientious objections to doing abortion. And and you know the the liberals in California tried to make these crisis pregnancy centers pro life centers advertise abortions and 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 that case and this gets to you know, your point that was a five four decision and and so many of these are five four decisions you you think that nobody could possibly vote against pro life centers on this but but Kagan did and Sotomayor Ruth Bader Ginsburg and Stephen Breyer. And Justice Clarence, uh, Justice Clarence Thomas did the majority opinion defending the pro-life centers. And in this case, thankfully, Justice Anthony Kennedy was the swing vote in, in favor of pro-life. And right. with him now stepping down, it's going to be absolutely crucial you know, who that next person is because it could flip it 5-4 the other way. Okay, and, yeah. and hopefully we'll get somebody who's more dependable than, than Kennedy has been on these things over the past 30 years, because you never knew with Kennedy where he was going to stand on these but issues. But sometimes he came out fine, like this time and on the Colorado Baker fine. case, correct? That's right. That's right. And, 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 and I would say, too, Bill, that in, in the 30 years that Kennedy has been on the bench, in the majority of cases, I think he's, he's ruled in a way that, that conservatives would approve of. Um, it, I, this wouldn't be 90% of cases. Wouldn't be three quarters. Might only be like you know fifty one percent of cases. But but in the cases where he ruled against uh, conservatives, they've been really devastating. The and Casey, you know that Casey includes case. yeah right yeah yeah Planned Parenthood v Casey in nineteen ninety two, which um, enshrined Roe versus Wade as, as the law of the land, and really even dug it in even deeper. Obergefell, Redefining Marriage in America, that was in June 2015. And something I don't hear many people even talking about, the Kelo decision as well. Uh, So so all all of those, uh, and and I I would say in particular, Planned Parenthood v. Casey in 1992, Obergefell in 2015, these were from a sort of cultural, moral point of view, Utterly devastating, and and far um, outweigh any any good that, that that Kennedy did on other decisions, and 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 it's it's almost aggravating that in the last couple of weeks he voted so well on on these religious liberty cases because you you know you think to yourself well well gee you know if you if you hadn't done what you did in the last few years you wouldn't have to be kind of salvaging yourself here, redeeming yourself now, right now, with these good votes in the last couple of weeks. Um, but, you know, but he, he, you know, he did vote right in the last couple of weeks. Jack Phillips, the masterpiece 
uh, cake shop, bake shop decision, and and also this National Institute of Family and Life Advocates decision. All right, let's let's talk about this in the context of what's coming up. Then I want to go back in history to the Reagan appointees, since you're the you're the Reagan guy, um, and you know you and I both revere Reagan, but yeah, we'll get to it. But the, the record is spotty uh, on on Supreme Court justices, I would say. But uh, we can we can talk about that. But as we face this. Um, New appointment. A couple things. Let's just clear this one out of the way. I've heard a lot of people say, well, if you, even if you appoint a conservative, maybe these are just pessimistic conservatives. Um, and maybe I'm one of them. Maybe you are too. Um, well, even if you appoint a real conservative, ro- watch Roberts. He's going to swing back to the middle and right. become a Kennedy type figure. Do you think that's correct? Do you think that's a fair assumption? Yeah, well, with with Roberts, you you sense that same sort of frustration that that you're not exactly sure how dependable he is, and 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 I would say too with Roberts, I have kind of the same fear with Kennedy, being that he's a man easily influenced by his surroundings and by pressure from progressive liberal groups, and you know when when Anthony Kennedy was was nominated in in 1987. Um, I, I talked to Bill Clark a lot about this. You and I both knew Bill Clark. Yep. Uh, yeah, Bill was Ronald Reagan's closest advisor. He, uh, Reagan had appointed he was Judge Clark. Reagan had appointed him from from being chief of staff to Governor Reagan in the late '60s up through the California court system. He appointed him to the California Supreme Court in the 1970s, and then he brought Clark to. Washington in 1981, Clark would become his national would run his National Security Council, and he he helped Reagan win the Cold War. And, and Clark knew Anthony Kennedy. They would they would have lunch together once a week in Sacramento, when when Clark was on the California bench and Kennedy was on the the federal bench there. And and Clark told me he said he said I'm telling you he was like me he was a fellow Irish Catholic pro life. But the problem with Anthony Kennedy is he's somebody very influenced by his surroundings, and he can he can be pressured to 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 flip on these issues. And I fear that could be the case with John Roberts as well, as we saw with the Obamacare decision. Because yeah, remember, Bill, he, there, he, he yeah, he yeah it, and he he basically gave Obama and you know a, a way out on that decision, which he didn't have to do. He was just supposed to rule on the constitutionality of Obamacare. And instead, he you know he comes up with a way through the tax system that uh, that Obamacare can be can be pushed through, which which he wasn't supposed to do. But but so I see Roberts possibly being um, a Kennedy type figure, although although I am more optimistic about him than I than I was about Kennedy. So if let's assume the worst that he becomes a swing, then you've got a then you've got five four again, right? That's right. Four and a half, four and a half, four and a half. Right? That's right. Gorsuch. That's uh, right. Right. Gorsuch, Alito, Clarence Thomas. And yeah, Clarence Thomas and um, who are who are we forgetting? Uh, Neil Gorsuch, of course. Gorsuch. Yeah, and, and, and we got to say here, Gorsuch so far has been just great. Yep. And and you know to compare, let's say uh, Trump versus Reagan. You know, Reagan at this point into his presidency had appointed one Supreme Court justice, and it was Sandra Day O'Connor. And, you know, there's somebody else who probably, 
you know, more than 50% of the time voted in a way that we would like on certain decisions, but was catastrophic on the major decisions, including Planned Parenthood v. Casey. And, and so if, you're, if we're measuring Trump versus Reagan on Supreme Court picks so far, um, Gorsuch, I think, wins over um, Sandra, Sandra Day O'Connor in a landslide. All right, well, let's just do it since we've jumped into it. We've talked about Ken. We, he made three. I mean, he, he raised up uh, Rehnquist, but um, he made three, right? O'Connor, Scalia, That's right. and Kennedy. Um, yes. O'Connor, O'Connor uh, C plus, B minus? Yeah, I think that's probably fair to. Yeah, that, that's a good grade. I, I'd say C plus B minus. Kennedy. Although, yeah, um, Kennedy, maybe C plus, yeah. right? Although, yeah. although there again, you know, you could give him an A on a lot of things, yeah. Yeah, but no, you have no, to give him right. an F on the really big things, right? Scalia is easy. Scalia is easy. Scalia, I think, might have Scalia might have been the best pick for the federal bench in the last 50, 60 years. And that was terrific. Now, what's, and, and of course, Rehnquist, who Reagan promoted a chief justice, who had been appointed, I, I think, by Nixon. This is off the top of my head. But, but yeah, he, right. he, turned out, yeah, he, he turned out to be just great. And so one out of, one out of three, I, I, I guess, it was, was very good. If, if we're going with O'Connor... And Scalia and Kennedy, but I've got a note here that, and a lot of people I think have forgotten this bill, that the original pick Kennedy was supposed to be Judge Bork. That's right. Reagan no, no, Reagan that's right. wanted Robert Bork. No, he gets credit and, for that. He gets credit for appointing what we think would have been an A justice. He was not a guy right. who was influenced by people around him. Bork. I mean, he was not one to bend with the wind at all. That's right. Yeah, he he would have been the complete opposite of Kennedy, and really looking at the the liberals' greatest coup in the 1980s against Ronald Reagan, and we can we can chalk this up to Ted Kennedy, yeah. to Joe right. Biden on right. the Senate Judiciary Committee, a number of other figures on the Senate Judiciary Committee. Their their biggest coup was stopping Judge Bork, you know, Borking Bork, right? You know, Bork became a verb, you know, the process of getting Bork, the way they savaged him. And then it was Ginsburg who came after that, not Ruth Bader Ginsburg, but um, Douglas Ginsburg. And he was Reagan's second choice after they voted down Bork. And he's the one who got shut down because he admitted to smoking marijuana at <laughs> At some point, with, no, no, with no, D, no. Now, now I'm going to correct you. Now I'm going to correct you because I was in on this. Mm. I maybe I did, had a role. I had a role in this. Um, I was Secretary of Education, uh, and the and and what I saw and read was that he was smoking marijuana as a professor of law with his law students. Ooh. Okay, this wasn't that, sixteen right? year old smoking a joint as a law so, professor so was, with his students. Was current current day like with no not current but when he was a law professor before he was a judge um okay and and you would agree that makes a difference right your professor oh yeah yeah token up with your students that's you know (laughs) an animal one of those city college one of those college movies uh 
Is it Donald Sutherland? One of those guys is smoking dope with his undergraduates. But, but a- Animal House. Right? Is it Animal, Animal House? House? Okay, okay, okay. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> God, Paul knows everything. Anyway, uh, I called I called Howard Baker, and uh, he said, uh, I said, look, it's not the marijuana. It's the law professor with his students smoking marijuana. He said, you better, wow. talk, you better talk to the chief. I talked to the chief. Wow. And I said, wow. a distinction, well, that's interesting. A distinction here. I said, yeah. I'm as anti-marijuana as you get, but if this were a... You know, a high school thing and, you know, or college freshman, whatever, forget it. But law professor. Anyway, just, uh, that's for your records. And the president. Oh, that, no, that's said, good. Okay. That's very, so, that's very important. But do, do we think and, Ginsburg would have been a, a Bork conservative? That's a great question. Yeah, I don't think yeah, we know. I, I, I really I, don't think we know. I, that's right. I, I don't, I don't either. And, but, but so with Bork being shot down and then, and then Ginsburg, be, you know, coming out of the, so that so then it went to Kennedy, and that nomination was November eleventh, nineteen eighty seven, and then he was he was appointed in February of eighty eight. So I mean, it's thirty years. This guy this guy has been on the bench on the high yeah, court for yeah. thirty years. So me... so for liberals, I mean, wow, what a coup this was to take out Bork and to get Kennedy. Uh, a Ra- imagine if, if, if a Reagan pick. From him, they got the preservation of Roe versus Wade, which they would have done backflips at the time had they known in 87, 88 that they were going to get that from Kennedy. And, of course, in 87, 88, if they would have known that they were going to get a guy who was going to redefine marriage, even liberals in those days would have would have been thought that that was you know, crazy. I mean, the entire Democratic Party supported the Defense of Marriage Act under Bill Clinton defining marriage between a man and a woman the, the idea of redefining marriage obergfell is, is with with so many liberals now supporting that that's a brand new thing in the last 5 or 6 years but draw, but he me, even redefined marriage in america for them let me draw a couple of conclusions one one by way of a question uh, so you have this battle royale with uh, with bork and then the ginsburg kind of a mess very fine man very fine human being uh, and then you get, and then you get Kennedy with the with the mixed uh, review here. But Scalia was confirmed by what? Um, it was almost unanimous, wasn't it? I think it was. Yeah, yeah. yeah it was. It Why? Was, it was very Why? high. Why? Well, and and that says a lot about about how far we've gone or descended or or at least at least on the liberal Democrat side, because because once upon a time, liberals in the Senate, like like Republicans in the Senate still to this day. And I remember, I remember uh, Rick Santorum, our Pennsylvania senator, coming here to Grove City College about 10 years ago, and he was taking questions from students standing out by the rock on our, on our quad. And one of the students said, I don't understand. You're this great pro-life conservative senator. How could you and your conservative colleagues in the Senate vote for Stephen Breyer and Ruth Bader Ginsburg, you know, 90, 90 plus percent. I mean, they, they had, they were almost unanimous as well. And, and Santorum said, because we believe as conservatives that our, our duty in the Senate is to basically give the president who the president wants for the Supreme Court, as long as they're judicially qualified, if they have, um, if they're, uh, you know, the right temperament, as as long as they're they're sound, they're a right frame of mind that the president should basically who get get who gets should get whoever he wants. 
that there shouldn't be an ideological litmus test for Supreme Court justices. But liberals, however, don't do that. And that's a very recent change, which means, change, I mean, look at the Neil Gorsuch vote. The, the change is, is from, I mean, if, uh, at least explore this. The change was from 86 to 87. I mean, Scalia was almost <laughs> unanimous, and then Bork was borked. I mean, That's what right. happened there? Because of a majority? Because it would be a majority or close to a majority? What, 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 That's what a good question. There? Yeah. Yeah, okay. yeah. It, it's, it's, it's a good question on why they were so willing to support Kennedy but not Bork. And, and maybe... Scalia. Uh, yeah, yeah, well, that's right, that's right. Well, and even, yeah, from Scalia to Bork to Kennedy, yeah. because Bork did get a vote, and it was, yeah. I want to say it's 38 to 53, 57, something Yeah, no, like that's that. right, that's right. But but yeah. the record, I mean, Scalia had a record, Bork had a record, mm-hmm. but they took it out, they took after, uh, they took after Bork. Well, let's go to this larger point as, as the Reagan expert, because, uh, if you say I'm wrong, then I'll I'll just say I'm wrong because I trust you and Reagan. <laughs> but even this guy we love and revere, you know, he he really basically hit one out of three. Uh, That's right. As, uh, you know, Scalia. I mean, C plus for, we were given O'Connor and C plus for for Kennedy. Now he tried on the Bork thing, but you know this is what happens and 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 this transition to liberalism i remember another story for your for your archives and then i'm done, then i'm all done with all my accomplishments was was Souter recommended you know by Bush. yeah i was just going to mention Souter. And right I, 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 bill crystal who you and i used to be close it's not clear now in light of trump and all that stuff we've kind of it's it's unfortunate but I don't talk to Bill much anymore, but uh, he was my chief of staff in education. But we went over to see Sununu, and we said we just we don't feel good about this suitor. And Sununu, who's a good friend of mine, said yeah, he's fine. He's very conservative. He's fine. And man, was uh, were we right about that one? I've been wrong about a lot, but we were right about that one. Gordon knows. But why, oh, absolutely. The, why the drift left? Because of the media, yeah. because of the pressure, I used to say, "You get a night at uh, you know at the Harvard Law School, the, the trial of Hamlet, and they all play up to you, and then the next thing you know, you're you're lefty, you know." Right. Yeah. And the and the George H. W. Bush pick. So Bush had what Souter and Clarence Thomas. Yeah, that's right. So it makes up for a yeah, lot with so, Clarence Thomas. Right. Right. But but still, even then, so he's one out of two. So he's he's. 50%, batting 50%, right? 500, or I guess you could say, 333. Yeah, right, I guess, well, actually, 500 is a good batting average, but 50% is an F on an exam, right? <laughs> so, now, uh, see, now you're, you're giving Reagan 333, but you're giving HW a 50. I yeah, yeah right. that's exactly right. I, I, I remember writing a piece on this a few years ago. It might have been for National Review, but it was on a conversation between Warren Rudman and Joe Biden. And it was at an Amtrak yeah. station in Delaware. I think it might have even been the station that's now named after Joe Biden. And uh, Rudman wrote about this in his memoirs. I'm probably the only person that, that, that read Rudman's memoirs. But, yes. but they talked about this conversation between the two of them. And Rudman was a liberal Republican. And, and it was after the 
Planned Parenthood v. Casey decision and Souter giving everything to them that they wanted and Rudman basically telling Biden, I told you he'd be okay. I told you. Yeah. And the two practically hugging and kissing and dancing for joy yeah. that, um, that, that this glorious David Souter had, had, had preserved the sacred woman's right to choose. How, how right. thrilled they were about that. All right, so, making me sick. So, yeah. You're making me sick. Don't go on. You're making me sick. Okay. I know. <laughs> it, it, is, it is sickening. You should, oh, you should read. I, I'll send it to you. In fact, it's awful. You know, yeah, you I may have it. the Warren Rudman Mount Mars somewhere in my library, but I may not also. <laughs> Right, right, right. But it, it is. It's, it's a it's a sickening moment where where they um, the two of them privately, you know, talking about. Uh, I think he's going to be just fine on this. So really, if you would have known that conversation that those two were having, then um, your concerns at the time were were exactly right. He turned out to be a disaster. And and while we're talking about H. W. Bush batting five hundred or failing at fifty percent, whatever Reagan being one out of three. Uh, the liberals don't seem to ever miss, do they? No, they don't, because uh, that's what the pressure they, is. Because the culture, yeah. the, this is one of my points of evidence when people say who's won the culture war. For the moment, the liberals have, because that the culture mm -hmm. sways people one way or the other, and the court is one example. It never sways to the right, always sways to the left. That's right. That's right. Uh, Bill Clinton, uh, all of his picks, spot on, not a single fail failure yeah. there. Obama's as yeah, well. Right, right. Let's yeah. Let's talk, I mean, uh, let's talk today because we, we just got about five minutes left, and the audience is saying, "All right, what's going to happen? Who do you want? Who do you want? Who do you want? Who would you like to see?" And you know, a lot of these nominees. Yeah, what's the question? And, and the, the far and away the best thing that Donald Trump did during the campaign was was to provide that list. A list, yeah. And that that list, um, I mean, I, boy, I wouldn't be surprised if he gained ten million votes. From that list, I, I'm serious about that too. Yeah. I, I, to this, I mean, I've gotten so many emails the last few weeks who, from people saying, the, the, uh, from conservatives saying, this is the reason I voted for Trump, right? No, I know. Yeah, and right, and and on, and on that list, uh, it, it looks like Kavanaugh right now is one of the leading contenders. Um, Hardiman, who who came in second, I think, behind Neil Gorsuch last year. Um, I like um, as well um, Amy Comey Barrett from right. from Notre Dame, the Notre Dame law professor who was recently um, interrogated by Senator Feinstein for her quote unquote Catholic dogma, yeah. right? For uh, yeah, religious uh, test, uh, affecting yeah. or infecting, yeah, her her rulings, her 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 beliefs, her political, her um, her uh, rulings on the court allegedly. So there's a number of good candidates out there, and I'm just hoping that he nominates somebody from that original list, which is largely a Federalist Society-provided list. Let me tell you what I think, what I said last uh, last time I was on Fox. Um, first of all, I have, I have a dark horse, just because I know her. Allison Hartwell uh, eyed. Uh, she's on the 10th Circuit, wow. West Colorado Supreme Court, Stanford undergrad, and University of Chicago Law School. And she, as a intern in my office, a recent Stanford graduate, helped me write speech I delivered at Stanford called "In Defense of Western Civilization." And wow. she was in, she was actually in favor of Western civilization, even though a Stanford graduate. So, and that was right. Kind of a, yeah, it's kind of a big deal for me. Anyway, that's uh, another story. But but I love I love Alice. Any relation to Henry Hyde? Uh, Ied, E I D. 
Yeah. Oh, okay. All right. Yeah. All right. But I, I said, and I'll just uh, throw this out to you because uh, I think it kind of surprised people. If I, I said, I'm going with Amy uh, Barrett, Amy Coney Barrett, um, mm-hmm. because uh, all things being, she picked the most qualified person. I don't know, you know, among Kavanaugh, Hardiman, Barrett, who's the most qualified? But let's say they're all equally qualified. I want to go with the woman because uh, there are three liberal women justices on the Supreme Court. There are no conservative women justices on the Supreme Court. And I think yeah. we ought to have one. It's too easy to parody. You know, well, there go those, those, you know, those male conservatives again, those white male conservatives, exception of Clarence. And here are the liberal women over on the other side. I think, I think we ought to, uh, we ought to have a dose of woman on our side, if you don't mind. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I, and I think, yes, is that, uh, environment, is that aesthetics? Is that just environmental stuff? Is that, you know, st- yeah, it's culture. But I think it would be very useful, all things being equal. To have a woman, and she has seven kids too, which is, I think, a plus. Good for her. Now that I didn't know. Yeah. Um, it, yeah, it's, no, it's she's real. As we say, a real Catholic. You know, a real Catholic. Right, right. <laughs> well, that's right. And she, she's, she's Orthodox, and she also, I mean, somebody who understands and even teaches natural law. Imagine that. And you know, prior, Scalia had been the voice for natural law on the yep. court before. Yep. Yep. So this is somebody who knows that, and 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 also she's she's very young. I mean, I think she's in yes. her mid forties. Yes. And they, it, I've heard the last couple of weeks. In fact, it was one of the abortion activists, Heidi Hess, I think is her name, and she was complaining about you know the the five men on the Supreme Court who you did this. Well, I got news for you: it was seven men on the Supreme Court who gave you Roe versus Wade to begin with. I all know, right. I know. So I we're going to complain know, about all men. All right. No, I know, but, but, I, and I, I am making but, sort of a similar point, but I do think for the aesthetics of it, all things being equal, I think it's a good idea. And I think she's tough, especially after having gone through what she did with Feinstein. Yeah, yeah, Wouldn't it yeah. be great with with um, liberals going after her in the press, as they will, to see, um, I think, so many Catholics around the nation rally to her defense and try to silence somebody like Feinstein or anyone who brings up Amy Coney Barrett's faith against her. Uh, I'm I'm ready for that battle. I'm I'm all in for that. Okay, okay. Uh, All right, good. Uh, We'll see. Uh, Look, I agree with you about Trump, though. And not only, you know, the Gorsuch pick, but uh, what he's done on the federal bench has been extraordinarily good, right? Oh, it's been great. Yeah, yeah, he's he's been it, when it when it comes to judicial picks, he's he's been he's been outstanding, and uh, we could have a probably a longer conversation about this. But um, Donald Trump, who um, I don't know if he was even a conservative in 2014 or 2015, but right now between heritage people influencing him on policy, between Federalist Society folks influencing him on court picks. Um, outstanding people in his speech writing shop who are messaging him. He um, and he's made great pro-life statements recently. Last week mentioned talked about the fundamental human right, uh, the right to life of all human beings. He is um, he he's been he's been very solid policy wise on 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 all of these things. Yeah, yeah, I agree. We got to leave it there, Paul. Uh, this is very good, very useful, very smart. And very fair-minded, and I'm, I'm thinking as we leave, 
you know your your Santorum story, which I I hadn't heard before. It's a great story, but mm-hmm. you know, because because the bottom line in all this is I watch all this stuff on TV. Is you know we elected this guy president. You know, like he gets to pick his nominees for the Supreme Court. That's um, right. That's right. And uh, do you think I overheard last question? Uh, someone say, "Well, you better send someone up there who's your second choice, not your first. Give up one sacrificial lamb, and then you'll get the second one." Because Democrats yeah. don't have the steam, the muster to do it twice. Yeah, yeah. Well, the fact that I, I think they really compromised themselves, Bill, by by voting against Gorsuch as they did, because you can't find anybody more qualified than that. That basically yeah. told America they'll vote against anybody, anybody that that yeah. Trump puts up. Of course, they use the Merrick Garland argument with with that. Well, you wouldn't vote for our guys, so we're going to vote we're going to vote against your guy. But this time around, um, you know, they're gonna they're gonna be going strictly on these two big cultural issues, um, abortion and marriage, which would be perfect reason for them to try to railroad Amy Coney Barrett, and it's gonna be a very very tight vote. It could be Mike Pence making the difference, along with people like Susan Collins. So, um, and who knows what could happen with senators from you know Democrats from places like Alabama and West Virginia. But but that but that's going to be critical as well. Two senators from Arizona are wonders too, you know. <laughs> yes, right. That's right. right. The two of them. All right. Both hey, Republican. Thanks. thanks, Paul. Thank okay. You. Thank you so much, and uh, we really appreciate it. We'll be watching. All right. Take care. That was Paul Kangar, author and professor of political science at Grove City College, and nobody knows Ronald Reagan better. You're listening to the Bill Bennett Show. All right, joining us now, Brian Kennedy, president of the American Strategy Group. I am a fellow of the American Strategy Group here in Washington. Brian, welcome back to the show. Well, thank you, Bill. Great to be with you, as always. Tell us your latest thinking about, and you're always thinking about it, I know, but your latest thinking about China. Well, it's, it's, uh, it's one of those issues that has become, during the Trump administration, right to the forefront of our politics. And instead of simply fighting wars and deserts, which may or may not have been necessary at one point. President Trump has seen that one of the greatest threats to the United States is communist China. Golly, I remember when, that's a long time ago when people even used to call it communist China. But Trump uh, Trump sees that there's a problem there. And he sees it economically and militarily and politically. And so he's taken it head on. And uh, all praise to the president for seeing China for what they really are, and that is an existential threat to the United States. We were talking uh, about this when we were together. Um, he does seem to have this respect and admiration, affection for President Xi as well. Xi is a man who has up to now treated the president with what would appear to be a great deal of respect. And the man runs a country of 1.3 billion people. He does so uh, ruthlessly. He has a nuclear arsenal, a military of many million men. And I think Trump believes that what good would it do to simply disrespect the man? And so treat him not with, with uh, fondness, but with respect. And that kind of mutual respect is the kind of thing you could base a conversation on. American leaders have been talking to tyrants and dictators for many years, 
And just because that other person's a dictator doesn't mean you don't treat them with the respect a world leader should be accorded, right? Am I wrong about that one? No, you know, you're right. You're you're right. Uh, but when, when we were talking, um, you know, I've I've learned from you over the years about defense and Star Wars and how we can defend our country and the threat of Chinese missiles. Um, but you talked about threats in other ways too, that uh, are more retail, if you will, but uh, very deadly to those who receive. Well, I mean, the um, you and I, I know this is really something you you mastered over the years, and that is America's ongoing drug problem. But, you know, you and I were both talking about the opioid addiction in this country. Yeah, yeah. That President that President Trump has very rightly been concerned about. And I think in President Trump's mind, these things are all tied to China in a very practical way. China uses very predatory economic policies that drives out businesses from the United States, drives out manufacturing from the United States. And in those communities where the manufacturing has been driven out and an otherwise prosperous people are now impoverished, they turn to things to help ameliorate the pain, including alcohol and so often drugs. Now, it's one thing to have the United States and its you know, some of its smaller communities suffer the, the consequences of economic dislocation. Then add to that China selling certain opioid-type drugs to the United States, you know, fentanyl, as actually you, you instructed me, and you see that there's a, a double crisis here, both an economic crisis and a crisis of your population with drug abuse. Yeah. And that's something, and that's something that Trump uh, sees as a real, a real problem that he wants to get his, you know, mind wrapped around and get Americans concerned about. Yeah, um, as we speak, I guess just should mention the commercial for myself, John Walters, former drugs and I have a piece up just now, just this morning, um, <clears throat> to address to the president about the whole drug issue and this effort by Senators Warren and Cory Gardner. Sorry to say, to. Uh, legalized federally I, I want to talk about that in a, in a minute but the whole the whole drug uh, problem it, it just seems to me crazy to, to talk about the legalization of marijuana at the time we were suffering this crisis when we know that marijuana is indeed a gateway drug what does c.s lewis say um you know the devil's advice when the, the boat's halfway underwater get to get out the fire hoses right uh, <laughs> make, right, things, right. make things worse you're quite right there was a seizure just a couple of days ago of uh, fentanyl, uh, tiny, tiny stuff. Uh, it's a potent dose to head of a pin. A seizure, which uh, the news reported was enough to kill every American if ingested. I think that's a bit of an exaggeration, but not much. Um, and it was, you know, in a, in a finite space, in a, you know, in a, uh, in a, in a large shipment. But the Chinese are adept at this. They make it in their factories. Um, I'm not sure how clean the factories are either. So you get contaminated fentanyl, kind of d- d- double uh, risk here. But um, and it's shipped uh, to the United States, you know, by the mail, uh, and uh, comes in regularly. NBC actually did a pretty good report on this. Uh, and did I mention this to you when we were talking, Brian? About I think you did uh, that you know that you can go online. 
and, and, and order this stuff. And when you order it, they'll say, fine, we'll send it to you. We prefer a P.O. box or something. Uh, you know, there's some preference for how they mail it. or No, they prefer not a P.O. box, but a, but a street address. Um, and they said, you know, should be, this be seized by the authorities, which there's very little chance, you can take out insurance policy um, for your loss. Uh, amazing, you know, just how, how notorious, how open uh, this, this dealing is. And the point I want to get to is this stuff is deadly. It is deadly. Um, there was a case in Florida, they believe, of, of fentanyl that was in the vicinity of a young girl walking home from school, and a breeze came up, and she was ingested this tiny particle of fentanyl and died. And the report was fentanyl in their system because uh, she had not, uh, you know, been a drug user or anything like it. So it's a deadly, deadly risk. And, um, and you here's know, we the talk, question. We, uh, yeah. Do they mix it with, do they mix the fentanyl in other uh, materials like cocaine they in do. order to increase its efficacy? They they do sometimes, but it is so efficacious to use your word in in a by itself they don't need to. But uh, you know we don't know a lot about what's going on in those labs. Um, but we do know that it's coming over uh, in in huge uh, in huge quantities and killing people. Um, and I guess back back to you. I, you know, I've written many pieces by myself and with John Walters, other people. In this, in this, any drug effort, but about all the efforts that need to be taken, um, you know, to defeat this epidemic. But I'm asking you, as a kind of China expert and a Trump expert, do you think the president's willing to take the Chinese on on all these levels? I mean, I started this by saying, you know, you know, you know your work in Star Wars and missile defense. Is the president ready from, if you will, from the skies above to the to the to the to the street level drug uh ready to to challenge the chinese on at all, on all these levels is that your sense uh, i think he is yeah. and, and and minor correction it, uh, we don't really call it star wars we call it the strategic defense initiative i, I know I, i'm sorry yeah. missile defense no just shorthand and people old, like reagan, old reagan guy with the colonel what was his name uh, with the I general know, I know. you know <laughs> sorry know. Yeah, so well, out of date. whatever his name was I, I also would say, if I want to hear music, I also say, put that record on. I'm sorry. Yeah, no, that's right. That's right. Um, well, look, just look at, the, look at it this way. Trump announced a few weeks ago the creation of a space force. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. the same way we have an Air Force and a, and a Navy, he wants a space force because he does not want the Chinese to have a strategic advantage over the United States from space. Yeah. Now, now we knew we know this has been possible for the better part of thirty years. Who, other than Donald Trump, has the courage to say, "You know, I'm not going to go through a lot of review here. I'm building a space force. Make it so." I mean that that to me is real courage. Now, when he takes on hey, China, excuse me, hey, you think this? Yeah. You think this was one where he just went out and did it and didn't talk to any of his staff? He just said, "Oh no, I, no, I, yeah, I, no, I think he, I, I do think uh, he consulted a few people, okay. but I think it was more at the level of he made the decision, yeah, and okay. he was going to, he was not going to go through a ten-year policy review of whether we ought to have a space force or not. He just decided to do it, and so good, good for him. Yeah, but, gosh, when he, but when 
he takes on the Chinese economically, in modern economic affairs in this country, that is courageous. Yeah, sure and when he takes on the And when he takes on the drug problem the way he does, that is courageous. I, 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 the, uh, when, when was the original you know, opioid problem in the United States or in the West? I mean, I was, you know, I've been studying China a lot lately, working with some colleagues on a new project coming up regarding China. And I was looking up the whole drug question. In 1928, Chairman, you know, Mao Zedong, not yet Chairman Mao, but Mao Zedong, ordered uh, a lot of his colleagues to, to ramp up the production of opium. Yeah because they wanted to sell it to the non-communist states, meaning the West, because he saw it as a corrupting force. Sure. Throughout the 1950s here in the United States, I mean, there there wasn't a drug czar back then, but there was a commissioner of narcotics. I was looking this up, too. A guy named Joseph Douglas writes about this in, in a great book regarding the use of drugs against the United States and the West. But Douglas points out that throughout the 1950s, the main seller of narcotics into the United States from abroad was communist China. Huh. Everybody thought it was, you know, the mafia, more broadly organized crime, you know, coming from wherever. Throughout the 1950s, it was communist China. By the 1960s, when it looks like we're going to make our turn to China, you know, that would eventually culminate in 1972 with Nixon. You know, by then we, we, we quit pressing the point that it's China, even though it continues unabated to this day in whatever forms they can sell us these drugs, fentanyl being the newest iteration yeah. of that. Yeah, good, but good. From the Chinese point of view, they just think, well, the United States is a corrupt country and... They want to use drugs. We're going to sell them drugs. Yeah. And if it hurts, and if it hurts them, so be it. We're at war, and all more reason to sell the United States drugs to corrupt their people. And in fact, it's corrupting their people. You were using this number the other day, I think, Bill. How many people died of opioid addiction last year? Something like sixty-two thousand. Yeah, an enormous number. Not all, not all directly related, of course, to uh, China. But some of them, a substantial number of them, related to China. Well, that's the that's yeah. the Vietnam War. That's yeah. the Vietnam War in one year. Yeah, that's right. We yeah. talk we talk about how we talk about how precious life is. Well, we're losing that many people every year to these awful drugs, and these senators like Cory Gardner, they don't see the problem. You know, Colorado, Colorado, and they, he's 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 right. believing that he's believing the propaganda, but not the facts. Right. Well, all these all these you know folks see that it's the cool thing to do to be for marijuana legalization. Yeah, sure. Is, is it that, is it that somehow going to stop the problem? Does anybody think that's going to stop the problem? Well, yeah, actually, a lot of people do. I got into this discussion a couple of times with some people. I whose names I won't repeat because it would be. Violation of confidence will also be shocking, but because um, not people you would think believe this, but there are people in Colorado who um, believe that because they've legalized marijuana, they've cut back on other drugs, the use of other drugs. Absolutely not true. Facts totally belie it. I want to come back to 
my question to you uh, and, and ask it again with a different angle. We talked for years about the long twilight struggle against communism, long twilight struggle against Soviet Union. And, you know, Kennedy, others told us to be ready for a long struggle. From top to bottom, from strategic defense initiative, that's the phrase I should use, right? Is that right? Yeah, from strategic defense initiative to stopping fentanyl parcels. Are we ready? Is the president ready? Can the, the American people be made ready? Are they ready to do a similar struggle against uh, China and what it means to us? As it means to well, do us harm, yeah. I guess I should say. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I think that's a great question. I think uh, President Trump is certainly ready. He's certainly intellectually ready and politically ready to do so, and has already demonstrated that. I think the American people, the everyday Americans, they're ready. They've always seen the danger of these things. Uh, when it comes to American elite, I think they're not so ready. They, I mean, the, the Wall Street yeah. types, the Wall Street Journal types, the political elites like you've described on the marijuana legalization, they're not ready because they subscribe to this globalist view that we all, you know, global trade, free movement of peoples, open borders, drug legalization, these are all the things that make life better. Now, better for, for whom, I don't know, but they, they believe that. They don't, yeah. believe in cra- they don't believe in cracking down on China and their predatory economic policies. They very often see the, a bigger U.S. military as dangerous and provocative. They see uh, missile defense, to, give, to, to use that example, they see that as provocative. And so, in a waste of money, we're talking the globalists now here. Uh, the American people think these are good ideas. Trump yeah. thinks these are good ideas because they're good ideas. But we've entered an age where our elites have become so corrupt that I genuinely worry about the country and have seen in Donald Trump and the resurgence of the American people a great deal of hope because I think they're operating merely at the level of common sense. Trump and the American people, whereas the globalists have subscribed to a ideological point of view that all evidence to the contrary, open borders, free trade and drug legalization are somehow going to make our lives better. All evidence to the contrary. And when that happens in a country, when your elites become so confused, you ought to worry. And I think Americans are waking up to that. And thank God for these broader discussions that are going on all throughout the country about okay. what really are the dangers. Can we compete in the world? And most of the time, I'm, I'm pretty optimistic because I know we can compete. We're very creative. We're very hardworking. We're God-fearing. We'll fight for freedom like no other nation on earth. And so if, if Trump can continue to tap into that, that spirit that he's already you know, tapped into in the American people. If he can continue to do that, America will be fine. It'll be on the right path. But if it somehow turns from Trump, which I don't think it's going to, but if it did, then I think we're in trouble. I was with a group a couple of weeks ago. We we're talking about the country, and this is sort of a large political question based on what you just said. And he said, he referred to the article Flight 93, which was written by our mutual friend. Can we say his name now in public? Does oh, yeah, Michael, Michael. Michael Anton. Michael Anton wrote it. Uh, but he wrote, signed it as... Publius Decius Moose. Okay, okay. It was Michael Anton. Flight 93. Michael Anton, yeah. And right. this election is Flight 93, and, you know, we saved it. 
Hillary wasn't elected, Trump was elected. Well, this this discussion the other night, a friend of mine, who's also a guy you know, said, if that were true, if that was true, and we were that close to destruction, then we saved for another day. But did we just save it for another day? Are we one presidency away from crashing again on Flight 93? We, yeah, we pulled yeah. it out in the last, you know, quarter there in what in Michigan and Wisconsin, Pennsylvania. But are we still in serious trouble? Yeah, no, I think I think I think. Uh, I mean, Michael's uh, Flight 93 uh, analogy: the plane go- is going down. And either you're going to go down, it, it may still go down, but we're still going to charge the cockpit because we may be able to pull it up in time. Yeah. Right. Now, Trump stormed the cockpit. He kicked in the door. He stopped the terrorists. And he has his hands on the on the rudder and is trying to bring the plane back up. And I think the plane is coming back up. But... We still have a lot of work to do to get this right. And the mere fact that the so-called conservative movement has not embraced Trump. When you talk about your friends and my friends, we're talking about the conservative movement. The American people, again, I I don't worry about the American people. It's the the people at the top. I know. Yeah, on the the left and the right, in what what Michael Anton, Anton called the uniparty because they don't seem to have much difference in the two of them. Yeah. But it's, it's those people at the top who seem to be, I read Bill Crystal and George Will and those folks, and they're, you know, when George Will is advocating people voting de- you know, for the Democrat Party yeah. Yeah. because it would be dishonorable to vote Republican, my God, that's just, that, that's become lunacy. Right? There, there's your, those, are your, those are your conservative elites. When your conservative elites are advocating voting Democrat, because Donald Trump is not their flavor of Republican, my God, there is something rotten in not Denmark but Washington D.C. Yeah, and and God bless Trump. I keep mentioning God with Trump. I think maybe too much, but I almost think Donald Trump's election and him running for office was almost divinely inspired. Because who else but Trump has had the courage to go against all the pieties? in our society, to go against all the elites, to talk about things in the most unfashionable way, because his common sense and America's common sense is that we got to fix these problems, whether it's the economy or drug use or our military. You've got to get these things right for the good of the American people. This is not about what's good for other people in other countries. This is about what's good for the American people. And in that regard, Trump has been... I think just outstanding. Maybe, maybe the best. I mean, well, so far, it, you know, <laughs> I think he's been just the best president in my lifetime, okay. and that includes Ronald Reagan. Yeah. Because I think Trump has a much more difficult task yeah. than Reagan. Much more difficult task. Thanks, Brian. Thanks, Bill. Okay. That was Brian Kennedy, president of the American Strategy Group. As I mentioned before, I am a fellow of the American Strategy Group here in Washington. And that's just about it for this episode catch up on previous episodes of the show, go to BillBennett.com. You can follow me on Twitter at William J. Bennett, and you can like me on Facebook. Just search Bill Bennett. Feel free to email the show. I'd love to hear from you. It's BillBennettPodcast at gmail.com. Please share the podcast with your family and friends. We will catch up next week.